0: above
1: Thankfulness in giving, knowing that you're literally touching the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: But makes thy glories known.
1: Thank you so much, men. If you would open your Bibles, please, this morning, to 2 Kings, chapter 2. 2 Kings, chapter 2. And we're in a series of sermons right now that I'm really enjoying. Uh, We've simply called it favorite Bible stories, and so we um, are looking at some of those familiar stories and some of those favorite stories. And the good thing about a series like this is that really there are no right or wrong stories to include. Uh, when you pick a favorite Bible story, it's your choice. And for whatever reason, uh, you may like some stories especially. And so far we've looked uh, at a story with a giant. And we looked at a story with some lions, and today we want to add to our list another favorite, and this one includes some bears. So I couldn't help but think we could have called it Lions and Giants and Bears, oh my. But uh, anyway, this particular story is one that you probably won't find on a lot of people's list of favorite Bible stories. In fact, I doubt that a lot of the Bible story books for children, especially if they're the picture kind, would include this particular story. Uh, you know, I surveyed the congregation some time ago, got input from you, thought about stories that are very familiar. But this is kind of one that I like. Uh, It's not my all-time favorite Bible story. Uh, We've already preached on that in days gone by on the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. I think that's probably my favorite Bible story. But it's one that is quite memorable and has been to me for a very long time. And it's memorable to me because it's just plain, well, on the surface, it just seems kind of weird and shocking. Uh, If you grew up on the King James Version like I did, it was actually quite a startling story. Uh, It really got your attention if it ever came up in the Sunday School lessons. And you'll find the story there in your Bible in 2 Kings chapter 2. I'd ask you to turn there please, 2 Kings chapter 2. And I'm going to talk to you today about the story of Elisha and the bears. Elisha and the bears. And you'll find the story in Second Kings chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now I'm reading to you from the New King James, but I will mention uh, how the King James in, uh, translated some of this passage. Second Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Then he, that is Elisha, went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths, that's New King James. If you're reading King James, it says little children. Some youths or little children came from the city and mocked him, mocked Elisha and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Verse 24. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord and two female bears, the King James, I remember growing up, said two she bears, two she bears or two female bears came out of the woods and mauled forty two of the youths if you 're reading King James, it says that the she bears tear forty two of the children, and then it says in verse twenty five then he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there he returned to Samaria. Now you see why this particular story is probably not included in many of your bedtime Bible story, picture books. Can you imagine? Okay, honey, tonight I'm going to tell you the story of Elisha and the two she bears. You tell the story and say like sweet dreams. But anyway, uh, this is one of those stories we don't hear a lot about. But you know what? God chose to record it in His Word. And all scriptures, the inerrant, inspired word of God and God's word says that all scriptures inspired and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is not in the Bible by accident, even though it seems kind of weird, it seems kind of strange on the surface. There are some things we need to learn from this unusual story. And the lessons go deeper than uh, this one. Just don't make fun of bald prophets and preachers. Now, that's a good lesson. And we should make fun of them, but it goes deeper than that. Now, let me just bring you up to speed of where we are uh, in the story. Uh, Here in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, Elijah has just gone up to heaven in a fiery chariot in the whirlwind. And Elisha now has taken up his mantle and taken up his work. He's come back across there. And here at verse 23, it says he's on his way to Bethel. Now, Bethel, you remember, literally meant the house of God. But at this time in the life of the children of Israel, sad to say, Bethel had become a center of idol worship. And on his way to Bethel, the house of God, which, sad to say, was in a sad state, he's met by these little children or youth who came from the city to mock him. Now, let's talk about the little children for a moment. The King James says little children. The New King James says youth. Um, Let's talk about them for a moment. Please understand we're not talking about toddlers. We're not talking about two- and three-year-old or four-year-old children. We're not talking about little kids. The Hebrew word translated little children or youth here, according to Wearsby, refers to people from 12 to 30 years old who were able to discern between right and wrong and make their own decisions. And I have a feeling that it was probably a mixed group. You may have had some older ones. You had some younger ones in here. And he said this was not a group of playful children making a clever joke, but a gang of smart-out youths maliciously ridiculing God and God's servants. And so maybe maybe we've misused this passage. And by the way, if you've got a rowdy Sunday school class of boys and girls, it's a great passage to turn to say, hey, you better listen. No, anyway. Uh, So these were young people, anywhere from 12 to 30. They knew right from wrong. They knew what they were doing. And apparently there were quite a few of them who came out to harass Elisha. In fact, 42 are mentioned, but it's implied in the passage that there were more than 42. And in their mockery and in their taunting, they use an interesting chant. Have you noticed that when you have people coming out in groups, they oftentimes pick up a chant or or sang or a slogan. And their chant was this. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now, that alone seems a bit strange. At least it does to me. Go up, you bald head. What did they mean by that chant? What did they mean by that phrase? Well, let's deal with the second part of the chant first. The obvious thing here. Bald head. Uh, the scholars tell me for a young person to call any grown man bald head would be a gross affront And to repeat the nickname would make the offense even worse. Gray hair to the Jews was a crown of glory. That's what Proverbs 16.31 says. Gray hair was a crown of glory, but to the Jews, baldness was a rare thing among them. And by some people was considered a a disgrace, according to Isaiah 3.24. We understand that for a young person even today to say to an older person or or someone who's an adult, Hey, baldy! Hey, bald head." That would be an affront. That would be a grievous thing. You'd get, you'd get uh, in trouble for that. And so the question is, you know, why was Elisha? Was he bald? What is this all about? MacArthur said that, uh, that uh, the baldness of Elisha may have referred to one of three things. It could have been a natural loss of hair. And that happens in life. Some people naturally lose their hair. It could have been that he shaved his head to denote that he was being separated to the prophetic office. And so he purposefully cut his hair or shorn his hair because he was dedicating, he was separated to the office of a prophet. Or they said it could have just been something they used to scorn or just to say things to disgrace him. I'm of the opinion, I believe that he was bald, whether he was naturally bald or he had shaved his head. They looked at him and that's what they came up with. Go up, you bald head. It's an obvious chant of mockery, of Disrespect, hoping to injure Elisha. Now, let's back up and deal with the first part. What do they mean when they say, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. What's that all about? Remember what just happened in this chapter. They're probably alluding to what had just happened to the prophet Elijah. Elijah had just gone up or had just went up to heaven. And what they may have been saying to Elijah is he's coming now, he's in Elijah's uh, shoes, he's wearing the mantle of Elijah. When they say go up, what they may have been meaning is this, Elijah's finally gone, why don't you get lost too? Get out of here, you bald head. In fact, one of the translations I read literally translated this way, get out of here, baldy. Now think about that. You've got a 12, 13, 14, 15, 25, whatever. You have a young person coming. Here comes the prophet of God, Elisha, with the mantle of Elijah, God's hand upon him. And they basically say to him, get out of here, Baldy, get out of here. And this brings us to our first lesson that I want you to notice today. And it's this in the Lord's work. We can expect to face opposition. In the Lord's work, we can expect to face opposition. Now, it's interesting as we're studying these various favorite Bible stories, how many of them deal with opposition that God's people face. We looked at uh, David and Goliath, opposition. We looked at Daniel and the lion's den, opposition. Today, we look at Elisha and these young uh, people, and we see opposition. And we don't always receive a warning that the opposition is coming. Elisha's going along here in his new uh, office, if you will, taking up the Mount of Elijah. He's minding his own business. He's walking along to Bethel, and here they come. And the interesting thing is how personal they got in their attack. They not only wanted to attack his message, they hated the messenger. They attacked his appearance. They tried to intimidate him by tearing him down. They intended to wound him deeply. We saw it with Goliath and David, didn't we? David walks on the battlefield and, and Goliath looks at him and sneers. What am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? You know, David's there with his staff in his hand. He attacks him. And here these young, wicked, uh, probably a group of young men, mock God's man and God's message, Elisha, not just as the prophet, but they attack his appearance. They try to wound him and take away those things from him. But this is where the story gets very interesting. And I think verse 24 has to be one of the most interesting verses in the Scripture, the Old Testament, because we find that Elisha does three things. If you notice in your Bible there, it says, first of all, he turned around. He turned around. So maybe the picture, and I don't know exactly, maybe he's walking along and they come out and begin mocking him and he keeps on walking. Or maybe he's walking by and they come out behind him. But for whatever reason, he turns around. And then it says, secondly, he looked at them. There were at least 42 of them. I think it's implied there were more than 42. Now, imagine facing opposition. It's one thing to face a crowd of one or two or three, but imagine 42 or 50 or 75. or, or We don't know exactly how many. And they're all opposing you. You remember back when you were in school and, and maybe a group of folks got together and they were picking on you or bullying you or, or, or a whatever? It's one thing for one, but then they get in groups and there you are. So it says he turned around, he looked at them, and then it says he pronounced a curse on them. Now, listen, let's understand this is not cursing and swearing. That's not what this is all about. It says he placed and pronounced a curse in the name of the Lord. He wasn't cursing or swearing or using bad words. He pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. I'm reminded of a verse. Jot this reference. Now you want to go back and look at this verse. Jot this reference down. 2nd Chronicles 36 16. 2nd Chronicles 36 16. Here's what the Bible says. 2nd Chronicles 36 16. But they mocked the messengers of God. Despised his word. scoffed at his prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. And I think that's what's happening here in Elisha's life. Elisha speaks the curse in the name of the Lord. And now look at the rest of verse 24. Two she bears, two female bears. Let's just stop for a moment. You ever been up in close and personal with a bear? Anybody? I'm not talking about your husband, ladies. I'm talking about a real, living, breathing bear. You look at those things. You think about a a grizzly. You think about those things. I don't like to hang around bears like that. You know, they're behind a cage or whatever. That's fine. But two she-bears, by the way, what are you taught? You're going out hiking in the mountains or whatever. If you see a cub, you see a, a baby bear. What do you do? Get away from it. Don't mess with it. Why? Because mama's right around the corner and mama will take you out. This is two she bears come out of the woods and it says that they mauled 42 of the youth. King James says that uh, 42 were torn or tear 42 of the youth. Now, I'll be honest. We don't know if this mauling led to the death of these young people or not. But can you imagine There are a lot of places in the Bible story I'd love to be a fly or a bug on the wall just to watch. You imagine this group of young people taunting God's prophet. Go up, baldy! Go up, you baldhead! Get out of here! Get out of here! Go up, you baldy! And all of a sudden they hear a noise. And out of the woods comes two she-bears and begins to attack and begins to take them down. One minute, they're mocking and sneering at God's prophet. And the next moment, they're crying out in terror as they're being attacked by two bears. This reminds us of a second lesson that we all need to remember. And it's simply this. We need to be careful not to despise God's messenger and God's message. We need to be careful not to despise God's messenger and message. Now, God brings his word to our attention. Perhaps we're, we're in a situation, we're a believer, we know the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're living in rebellion against him. We're living in a backslidden condition. There's some things that are not right in our life and God's trying to get our attention. And God sends along his messenger to us. And can I just say for a moment, God's messenger can take on many forms. Yes, it may be a pastor in a pulpit, it may be a sermon. It might be a Sunday school lesson. It might be something you hear on the radio from a, a Christian network. It might be a casual conversation with someone else. It might be the inner witness of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It might be a devotion or a book that you're reading. I was reading last night old Vance Havner was reading uh, from his sermon book. Um, and, and, and God spoke to my heart. It takes on many forms. But God sends his messenger to you. And that messenger confronts you with the truth. Something's not right. Something needs to change. And you're confronted with God's messenger. And now here's the question. How will you respond? Do you despise it? Do you try to direct your energy towards tearing down the messenger? Well, this here really it in a good book. Well, he, he doesn't look very nice. Do you tear down the messenger? Do you rationalize it away? Listen, just as a loving parent does with his or her children, our Heavenly Father will discipline us and He will correct us and He has many means in order to do so. And may I say, while we may not be mauled by bears. Now, if God wants to do that, He can. But while we may not be mauled by bears, any time, listen, anytime time we as Christians choose to willfully disobey God and we will not repent and we will not get right about it, it will bring hurt into our lives. Mark it down Any time a believer willfully chooses to disobey God and keeps on and will not get right about it, it will bring hurt into our lives. Sin, beloved, is serious business. It's serious business. We treat it like a little toy rubber snake when it's actually a king cobra. It is deadly. It is harmful. It is dangerous. And Though we're living in a world that flaunts it. And exalts it and glamorizes it. Beloved, sin is sin and it's deadly and it's harmful. Now, you need to understand something very important about what happened in this story. Elisha is not lashing out in anger because his feelings were hurt. And he's not flying off the handle and showing them what for. You call me bald head, I'll get you. He curses them in the name of the Lord. Why? Because it was not so much Elisha that they were attacking as it was God himself. Why? Because God, uh, Elisha was God's man with God's message and to despise Him was to despise the one who sent him, just like David and Goliath. David looked at Goliath. He realized the battle was really not between the armies of Israel and the army of the Philistines, that Goliath and his crew, they were mocking the glory and honor of God. And so we have here God's glory being mocked and ridiculed because Elisha is God's man, which brings us to a third lesson. It's simply this. We should place the opposition that comes against us into the Lord's hands. We should place the opposition that comes against us into the Lord's hands. I believe that's what Elisha did here. I don't think the curse necessarily that Elisha said, I hope two she bears come out of the woods and maul you. I think it was a curse in the name of the Lord where he placed the matter in God's hands. And he's saying this, God, I give them to you. You do with them as you see fit. And God in His sovereign wisdom and decision, He sends two she-bears out of the woods. And so when opposition comes to us, what do we do? Listen, please don't leave here today thinking that now, whenever someone opposes you, you can pray for bears to come and maul them. That is not the lesson. You can pray for them to get, you know, diarrhea or something. Don't pray that. (laughs) That is not the lesson. It's not the idea of you getting vengeance. The Bible is very clear. What does it say? Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Now, I want you to put your finger there and go with me to the New Testament, Matthew. And I want to read two passages real quickly before we close up shop today. Because it instructs us, how do we handle these things? Opposition comes. What do we do? We're going to face opposition. How do we handle it? Matthew chapter 5. Find verse 43. The Lord Jesus' words here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Then we're going to go to Romans 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Here's what the Bible says. Listen carefully. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's good preaching hard living, isn't it? That's what Jesus says to do. Verse 45, that you may be the sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's the example. Look at the way that He blesses those who oppose Him. He blesses those who hate Him. He blesses those who mock Him. They breathe His air, drink His water, eat His food. He blesses them. He says, I want you to be that way. Now, Romans 12. Verse fourteen also speaks to this. Lest we're confused about how we respond, Romans twelve, verse fourteen. Romans twelve, fourteen. Once again here's what it says. Bless those, Romans twelve, fourteen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. See? Don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things at the sight of all men. You say, well, preacher, I just they won't be peaceable. They won't get along. Look at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, you're going to find there's some people that will not live peaceably with you. But as much as it lies in you, God helping you, you be at peace with them. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Don't pray for bears to come out of the woods. Don't pray for those things. If you're, uh, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Put it in his hands. God, this is in your hands. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Not with poison, by the way. Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not, watch this verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, we're not to call down fire from heaven. We're not to call bears from the wood. We're not to call a swarm of bees to sting our enemies. We're called to love them. And to give them to God. Now, these young men, these young people and their families were reminded for the rest of their life. About what happened on that day. They saw what happens when you mock God. If some or all of these 42 were killed, because maybe some died and some didn't. If some or all of these 42 were killed, their families would never forget this day. If some or all of them lived, guess what they bore on their body the rest of their days? The scars, the markings, a constant reminder of what happened when they went out and mocked God's messenger who carried God's message. And in this, may I just say, God was so gracious and kind. We'd like to think we don't know we'd like to think that some of these very young people and their families threw down their idols and turned to Jehovah. You know, sometimes God goes to drastic means to get our attention, doesn't he? And I'd like to think that if he sent a bear to attack someone and they live, it would at least get their attention. And they'd at least consider what they've done. Now, I've got to ask you a question before we close up shop for that. We've looked at these several lessons together. Now, here's the question. What lesson from this story is the Lord pressing upon your heart today? Maybe if you're honest, you say, well, preacher, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm growing weary with the opposition that I'm facing as I seek to follow Jesus Christ. I'm seeking to be Christ-like at work or at school or in my relationships or in my family. And I'm growing weary. Can I just give you a word of encouragement? Don't give up, dear brother. Don't go back, dear sister. You love those people that oppose you. You do good to them and you place them in God's hand and you pray for them. But get your eyes off of them and keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't grow discouraged. But then there are those today, if you are honest, you say, Well, preacher. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. If you're totally honest, you know that God is speaking to you about an issue in your life. Something He wants changed. And you're resisting. And your resisting is working. You're hardening your heart yet again. You're beginning to rationalize right now. You begin to say, That's the Old Testament. Now, listen. If God's message is meeting you today, if God's truth's confronting you, come and confess that thing, repent of it and forsake it. Beloved, when you resist, you're only harming yourself and possibly many others. But if God's speaking to your heart today, come and get right about it. And then there is one more group here today. And if you're honest, you'd have to say, Well, preacher, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know the God of Elijah. I don't know the God of Elisha. I don't really know the God that you speak of today. I've never turned from my sin, my wrongdoing, and placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I've got great news for you today, friend. You can do that right now. The Bible says if you call upon the Lord, he will save you. You say, well, what do I do? You just cry out to him, Lord, I don't want my sin anymore. I'm sorry for my sin. I want you. I want Jesus, my Lord and Savior. The Bible says he will save you and he will forgive you. Well, this is a short story. It's an unusual story. But it's a God story. And God has recorded it for our benefit, for our instruction and for our help. And I wonder today. Will we heed the lessons and will we respond in faith and obedience to what God is speaking to our hearts this morning? Father, thank you for your word, the inerrant, inspired word of God. Father, we thank you for the lessons that we have been learning from this episode in the life of Elisha. Lord, we are thankful we remind you today just how serious sin is. And I pray, Lord, as you'd work in the hearts and lives of these precious people before me. I sought, Father, to give your word today. If anyone's here today, they're growing discouraged. The opposition is overwhelming them. People are coming against them. They're growing weary and well-doing. Refresh them, Lord. Encourage them. Revive them. May they look to you and place this situation in your hands. Then, Father, for any of my brothers and sisters here, Lord, search my heart. If there's some area where you're seeking to get our attention, you want us to change. You want us to get right. You want us to repent and confess and forsake. Father, I pray today we would surrender and say yes to you. And then, Lord, I pray for any here that they don't really know you. They know about you. Lord, they're here. They respect you. They they're here in this service. They think well of you. Lord, they never met you through Jesus Christ personally. I pray your Holy Spirit to do a work in their heart and their life that only he can do and bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Take charge of this invitation, I pray. And we'll be sure to give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 576. Take the name of Jesus with you. And the invitation's clear, I hope. The altar is open today. You'd like to come and pray. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're weary. Come and just cry out to the Lord for a fresh touch. If you're here today and God's speaking to your heart, there's something you need to get right about. Come do it today. Leave here with the joy of the Lord, restored in your life. And may I say, if you're here today, you've never received Jesus Christ. I'm going to be down front here as we're singing. I'd love to welcome you. Say, well, what happens when you come? We'll sit and pray with you and help you. We'll lead you to the cross and to the Savior. We'd love to help you do that today. 576, as we stand and sing, take the name Jesus, will you come today?